as well. We'll continue in the uh, in the book of First Corinthians, again, chapter nine, and uh, it, just for a quick recap, then in chapter nine, Paul Paul lays out you know reasons. You know what? Before I get started, let's pray. Let's commit this time to the Lord. My Father, my God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here today. We pray for those that may still be on their way, Lord, that you would allow them to get here safely, Lord God. And Father, as we continue to look at uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, Lord, we ask, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do, and that's illuminate your word, bring understanding, Lord God, that we would be exhorted, we would be encouraged, Lord God, that the word would do what you intended it to do, Lord God, and that is to transform us into the image of your Son. So that is the anticipation and the expectation we have today, not only from Sunday school, dear Lord, but also in the service to follow. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, amen. So in chapter 9, Paul lays out the, re- the reasons for why he over anyone else has the right to exercise his Christian liberties. And we heard about those in chapter 8. Uh, he also explains if those liberties in any way hinder the gospel message that he would choose to forfeit them for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church and their eternal salvation. And as we understand it, that man's greatest need, right, is to be saved, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. But also, we as believers, our greatest need is to move towards holiness. Amen? Is the sanctification process that we uh, seek to uh, pursue and fulfill as we meet here uh, regularly on Sundays and, and other days. Last week we learned uh, the basis for Paul's rights. He was an apostle, he stated. He stated also, testified that he had seen Christ and that he had planted the church in Corinth. So these were the basis. And then Mike went over the, ex- the extent of his rights. He titled it The Appeal to Common Sense and Old Testament Law. And in verses 4 and 5, and even up until verse 14, Paul tells us that he has the liberty to eat whatever he'd like, to drink whatever he'd like, to even, if you remember, he made reference to uh, Peter and others having wives and having families. So these are things that he had forfeited. And also, again, I guess the, I don't want to say the bigger one, but probably the, the more memorable one, is that he forfeits compensation, that he would give up that liberty. And, um, you know, how Paul uh, exercised his rights uh, was a little bit different than we, we might expect, okay? Uh, in verses 15 through 18, um, in his Christian liberty, Paul chose, I guess you could say, not to be free, not to live out those liberties. Again, by forfeiting his rights. It was clear to the Corinthians and to us today also why Paul did what he did. Paul loved the Lord. Paul's passion was for the people of God to win them and to serve the Lord and to serve them. Paul is the example of what uh, one commentator uh, I came across 
put it this way, of cross-shaped living. So I think that's what I'd like to focus more on today is the cross-shaped living. In other words, being imitators of Christ and living that out. We see a great example uh, continually through this book and through Paul's epistles of he being that example. So that brings us today to verse 19. We're going to go uh, in 1 Corinthians from uh, chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. So we'll read those verses. Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, and I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Amen. So we're going to break it down verse by verse in that, the first verse there, uh, first part of verse 19. We read Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Again, Paul is free from the law. He's free uh, from uh, being tied to the ceremonies and the rituals that were carried out. Uh, he's free by the gospel. He's free by the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I lay aside my freedoms. I lay aside my entitlements for the help of others. Paul's example in this chapter and other places in Scripture are great examples of, of Paul's challenge to follow him as he follows Christ. Paul imitates the love of Christ in his, in his obedience to the Father. Amen? In Philippians... Paul writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. He exhorts them this way, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The greatest need of any person is to be rescued from God's condemning wrath to come. Amen? That is man's greatest, greatest need. And for those of us who have been uh, recipients of that blessing, of that grace, of that mercy, now we find ourselves within the body of Christ as God seeks to sanctify us, that we would become holy, set apart, and grow towards being more like Jesus Christ, right? As I said in, in our opening prayer, that we, our, our prayer, our desire, our anticipation, as we come and gather, as we read God's word, as we hear God's word, as we're taught God's word, is that we would seek to be transformed into the image of our Savior. And that's where Paul, <laughs> continuing in Philippians, picking up in verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is where my thoughts went as I studied this. Again, Paul being that great example, and, and how our Savior laid aside all his authority, all his privilege, his, his position in heaven where he was for the sake of our souls. Amen? And that's kind of what spoke to me as I, as I studied this, and that's kind of what I want to get through to us uh, today, um, is that Paul, just, just for the sake of people's souls, and I believe also for the sake of the church itself, just puts everything of his to the side and forfeits it because of his love, because of his passion for God, but for the people. And, and, and I guess what God was speaking to my heart and I want to share is that we need to grow in that passion as a body of Christ. It's not just that we're saved and we come here and we kind of go through the motions, but that we would seek to come alongside each other, that we would seek to exhort one another in the most holy faith. Amen? That we would grow closer and closer to being like our Savior. So, Paul is free. He has no master other than Christ. He's not bound to anything. He's not bound to money. He's not bound to people. He's bound to Christ alone. Paul was free to serve others in preaching the gospel. And though he had his rights, his privilege in sharing the gospel was his joy. And we see that in Romans 9, verse 3. Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. He was willing to give up his salvation for the sake of my brothers. How many of us can attest to that same desire, that same will? I know I cannot. I know I need to pray and, and ask God that He would put that in me and, and that I, that would be fuel. He says, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So that's what I want us to be today, is encouraged that we, is that we would want more than anything to build each other up in the most holy faith. Paul is sold out for Jesus. Any opportunity he had to minister the gospel, he was able, he was ready, but most of all, he was willing. Look at what he says next in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have made myself a slave to all, that I may win more of them. Again, I have made myself. This is a voluntary action. This is a choice that Paul has made. And if you've been with us in our study through the book of Exodus at the night service, we learned that in Exodus chapter 21, that slaves served six years, and then they had the right to leave, or they could choose to remain as permanent slaves to that household. So I think in a similar way, you see Paul decided, he made a, a choice to enslave himself to who? To Christ. He willfully chose to surrender his rights by making Jesus Lord of his life. There's a difference between claiming Christ as Lord, as my Lord and Savior, 
but being Lord of my life is a totally different camp, totally different thing. Paul was demonstrating the very thing he exhorted the church in Colossae to do and us today, what we are to be. In Colossians 3, verse 12, put on, put on. Again, that put on is not act this way. It is, but it's more be like this. It's not just, I can put on an act, I can, I can uh, be, uh, I think, I think, I'll give you an example. I think about when our kids were younger and we come to church in the morning, right? And you're in the car and you're, you're, you're trying to get in the car on time and some of you are laughing already. And uh, there's just chaos and you're trying to get to church and you're in the car, ah, and then you get out of the car in your church parking like, oh, hello, good morning. <laughs> well, that's not what Paul's looking, talking about. He says, put on, be, be intentional. Be this. Be then as God's chosen ones. We are God's chosen people. Be then as God's chosen ones. Be holy. Beloved. Be compassionate. Have compassionate hearts. Be kind. Be humble. Be meek. Be patient. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love. Be loving. Love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What is love? Love is putting the other person before ourselves. Love is being considerate of the other person, just as Christ was. Christ considered us. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be Thankful. Be genuinely thankful. Consider what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul's purpose we read in Corinthians, was that he might win more. Again, he do whatever it takes on his part. Jesus took on flesh. Amen? Jesus hung out with some of the dregs of society. Right? He was with prostitutes. He was put with politicians at the time. We see in these verses from Paul true biblical servanthood. A person whose heart and mind are inclined and surrendered to Christ. So in the remaining verses, we'll see how all of this kind of fleshes out in real life. What, how Paul says we should do this. Paul now explains how becoming a slave to Christ and to others will result in gospel fruit. Paul gives us three categories identifying the all he has become a slave to as he's mentioned. In verse 20, he begins, To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So again, catch that part in parentheses. Though not being myself under the law. Right? Not that he was bound to the law. He understood that Christ fulfilled that. Okay? But... He became as one under the law. He acted as one 
under the law. Although he did not be that. He did not believe that. That is not his motive. Paul again, being a Jew himself, Messianic Jew, I guess we can call him, was well acquainted with not only the laws, but again, the ceremonies, the rituals that were carried out. After all, he says in Philippians chapter 4 that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He knew it all. If anyone was, it was he. Paul would observe some of the ceremonies now and rituals as he came alongside the Jews. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes in my past, I wouldn't act like Paul acted in this case. I might be the person saying, well, Christ has fulfilled the law, and ceremonies and rituals are no longer required. So, I'm not going to participate in them, and why are you? But that's not what Paul did. Paul did not take that approach. Again, Paul knew the rituals and the ceremonies, and that they were just that. They were not spiritual, okay? They, most, they, they mainly were foreshadowing, right, of Christ's future fulfillment of them. It's the heart. It's the heart. The heart, specifically my heart, specifically my motive, not the other person's, is what determines if it's spiritual or not. Now, my thoughts went here because I thought of, in the past, I've done, I've done a lot of funerals, okay? And some were of other denominations, and I'm going to speak specifically of Catholic faith, okay? And I think of, for example, my, uh, my, my family. When my mom passed away, I did her memorial service. Now, I didn't want to give them a reason not to hear the gospel, because my mom came to know Christ. So I want to share with them that good news, that they, they, they should not mourn for her as, as normal people mourn, that they should rejoice and present them with the gospel. But I knew that if I opened up in a prayer without making the sign of the cross, that would, probably would have made a stumbling block, because I know my family. I'm not saying you have to do that at all, these ceremonies, but I just understood that. So by doing that, it kind of... I wouldn't say it relieved any tension, but it didn't cause anything. All right? I didn't give them a reason. So I'm just saying things, things like that. But just because I make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I don't believe that gives me any special access, or God hears me any clearer or any better, or gives me any preference. I don't believe that. They believe that I need to do that in order to address Him. Okay, that's okay, so I'll do it. It's, to, me it's not, to me, it's not a big deal. It's not a spiritual act. It's not where my heart is. So I'm going to do that in order not to cause any hindrance of them hearing it. Well, how about, how about have you ever walked into a, a Catholic church? And there's that, I don't know, I haven't been one in a while, but there's that little thing of water when you walk in the door, right? So everybody does that. What if you walked in there for a, you know, somebody in your family was getting married? Okay, and you went there to support them? And you didn't do that. And your cousin or whomever says to you, uh, hey Dana, you didn't, uh, you didn't bless yourself when you came in. Uh, are you going to stand there and argue with them and say, well, I don't have to because, no, I don't believe it does anything, but you know what? If it's going to make that person feel good, and okay, I'll just 
bless it. I'll just stick it in there. I don't think it's blessing me. I don't think it's doing anything. It's just one of those ritualistic, ceremonial things that mean nothing. But if it means something to someone else, okay. And that's what Paul does. I'm, yes? In a situation like that, then what do we do with communion? Because they believe that it actually turns into the body and the blood of Christ. So. Well, things, things of the spiritual nature, I think that's something that we have to discern for ourselves, and we have to, we could, I don't know that we could participate in something like that, right? Because that has a spiritual element to it, right? That's an ordinance that, that Christ gave us, the church, and how we're to do it as a remembrance, not as a reenactment. So you have that difference there. I think that's different. I think baptism is different, right? So those are things, you know. I think warrant a little bit further investigation and, 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 and caution, okay, as how to proceed in those things. Even concerning some of the Jewish believers who continue to observe, again, some of the cer- ceremonies and rituals of worship, Paul, rather than refrain from them or even rebuke the Jewish people, would be in the habit of laying aside his freedom and, and right, laying aside his freedom and right. Not to observe the ceremonies and rituals, but participate in them. This would afford Paul an opportunity to share the gospel. This is how he became a servant to all. Observing a special day or abstaining from some kind of food does not put me in bad standing with my Lord and Savior. But if it's going to come between me and a brother or potential brother, I need to consider that. You know, Paul's talking about going to the Jew, but again, look at this as sanctification. Look at this as, there, are, there were believers, and there's still believers today, that believe a certain way about certain things, and they have their conviction, and, you know, I know someone that they won't go, they hold, to hold Sunday Sabbath, uh, as a Sabbath day, they will not go to a place and have people work. What I mean is they won't go to a restaurant because that makes the people work. They won't go in that sense. Now that's that person's conviction. Am I going to argue with them and say, well, you're wrong? No. That's how God convicted that person. And if that's how they observe the Sabbath day, that's part of how they observe it. Amen. But I'm not going to hold it against them. And then I'm not going to also kind of, kind of call, put it in front of them to make them stumble, to make them do something that they're convicted not to do. So, we see in the book of Acts an instance where Paul avoided one of these needless offenses. It was when he returned to Jerusalem to make his report. In Acts chapter 21, verse 18, on the following day Paul went, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, and you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is, it, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. 
Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about, excuse me, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and he went into the temple. So Paul did what everyone else was doing, not to cause a reason to stumble, not to cause an offense. He just did what everybody else did. It was not a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal. Okay, it was a big deal that people observed that. In Galatians 5, Paul emphasizes that it's not the outward that matters, but the inward, the heart. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Again, it's not anything on the outward, it's the inward. The great lengths that Paul was willing to go to so that he or anyone who went with him would not be an offense and hinder the gospel message. Remember what happened with Timothy. And again, in the book of Acts, when he went through Derby and Lystra, he, he had Timothy circumcised, right? Because Paul's, uh, Timothy's father was a Greek, his mother was a believing Jew. But then again, this was probably done, so this way, when they, when they entered the land, that it, would, it wouldn't be seen, his uncircumcision wouldn't be seen as a renouncement of Judaism. So again... You, you, you talk about not eating meat or not, not doing certain things or, you know, look at, the, look at the degree of what they were willing to go through in order to share the gospel. Amen? That, I don't know about you, but that's a lot. <laughs> that would be a lot to ask. So that was the first all. That was the first all. The second all, verse 21. He's speaking to those outside the law, the Gentiles. I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So again, the law was for the Jew and not for the Gentile, right? Because they were God's chosen people. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council had agreed that it was not necessary to follow Jewish rites in order to be a Christian. So Paul would not present the gospel, let's say, by way of the law. In other words... He wouldn't reason with the Gentiles saying that Christ was a fulfillment of the law because they didn't have it to start with. They wouldn't understand that. Paul, Paul basically simply handled you know, his encounters with the Gentiles uh, kind of in the same way he did with the Jewish, Jewish people, with those under the law. His reasoning was so that in gray or neutral areas, he would not raise any barriers that may hinder people from hearing a clear gospel. So Paul became a Gentile, he says. But what does that mean? The second part of verse 21, again those parentheses not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Again, Paul's boundary was not to disobey the commands of God, the commands of Christ. 
Remember what Paul had written back in uh, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 22. He says, For he who has called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. So again, the one who is under the law and has, and has called on the Lord is the Lord's freed man. He belongs to the Lord. Likewise, he who was called as a free man, though those not under the law, is Christ's slave. So Paul no longer sees the law as a, mean, a means to righteousness. Paul, as well as we, the church, are held to the law of Christ. And what I mean by that is in Matthew uh, chapter 22. Again, familiar verse. He sums up the law, verses 37 and 39. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That takes care of the two tables. That takes care of everything. Right? You do one, and it takes care of everything. Paul was not saying do whatever the Gentiles do to win them. I know people like this. I've known, remember Johnny Boy? Yeah. He, he would say, you know, I go down to the bar and I'm drinking with them and I'm doing, he's getting drunk. This guy's getting drunk. All right? Because he f- thinks he's doing what Paul did and what Jesus did. So Paul's not saying that do whatever the Gentiles do to win them. We still need to obey Christ. We still cannot compromise, you know, his commandments. We can adapt our lifestyle, if I could say that way a little bit. Jesus, in sending out the 72, had these words in Luke chapter 10. He says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, whenever they, you enter the town and they receive the gospel, they accept the Lord, eat what is set before you. Again, these are people that are showing their gratitude, their gratefulness for the apostles' efforts and what they've done for them, their selflessness. So just eat what's set before you, no matter what it is. If it's pork, if it's beef, whatever. And the third all, verse 22. The weak. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, <coughs> Excuse me. that by all means I might save some. I believe Paul here is referring to what we learned from... John brought up in chapter 8 verse 7 right chapter 8 verse 7 1 Corinthians however not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled again the weaker conscience to the weak he says I became 
week. So Paul would refrain from eating and conform to the behavior of the weaker in order to win them, in order to exhort them, to build them up. John MacArthur says it this way. He did not compromise the gospel. He would not change the least truth in the least way in order to satisfy anyone. But he would condescend in any way for anyone if that would in any way help bring them, bring him to Christ. He would never set aside a truth of the gospel, but he would gladly restrict his liberty in the gospel. He would not offend Jew, Gentile, or those weak in understanding. Amen. Paul is our example. Jesus is our example. These, these are three categories that Paul used to identify the all for whom he's become slave to, the Jew, the Gentile, and the weak. There are no other categories if you think about it. Paul has become all things to all men. And he did so why? Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. All. Everything I do. Every decision I make. In fact, there is... Nothing I do where I do not consider the purpose or the very reason God has me here for. Imagine having that state of mind to consider. We talked about it a little bit on a community group this Friday. About having that presence of mind continually. To be mindful of God. Considering why he has us where he has us. To do his will. If there was anything in Paul that would hinder the message of the gospel... He wouldn't allow it to be a stumbling block. He would restrain, he would restrict himself. Again, putting the needs of others by exhibiting that self-control. Paul acknowledges the authority of God by submitting to him. Again, he surrendered to him. He's making him Lord of his life. He recognized the power of God in his weakness. He says, for his grace is sufficient. Amen? The, the people knew Paul as we read it, as we read it I think it was in chapter 8. You might correct me if I'm wrong. Well, it might have been the beginning of the book, actually. Uh, the people knew Paul not as the most eloquent, not as the most good-looking, not as the most well-fit, not as the most charismatic, not as the best communicator of God's Word. That's how they knew him compared to the other teachers that they were, that they were going after. They knew Paul's heart. They knew Paul loved them. And he continues at the end of that verse. He says, why he does this that I may share with them in its blessings. That he would share with them. That he would be a partaker with them. Together with each other in the family of God. Sharing the blessings of the gospel. As we do here today in the here and now as a church. As as the body of Christ. That we would share with each other the blessings of the gospel. I'm going to close out with a couple of verses. This one's on your outline. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. And again, Paul, the example, First, uh, first Corinthians again, chapter 2. Paul writes, and I, when I came to you, brothers, again, our heart here as leaders, as, as, as the elders, as the pastors of, of the church, is for the sanctification of the body, is for the building equipping of the saints, that it would build the church, that as we are, we are on this journey, all right, until we meet our Savior, to become holier and holier. It's not just, just that people come to know Christ. Our desire is that you, each one of us, including ourselves, we're not exempt from that. That we grow in our faith. That we grow in the likeness of Christ. And that's something that we never arrive at. And that's where we come from as, as pastors. That is our greatest desire. Because that is the greatest need of the church is holiness. 1 Corinthians 2 again. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul saying, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever, persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of God's Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Again, they knew who Paul was. How he looked. How he acted. Okay? When he spoke, they knew it wasn't him. Amen? They knew it was God. They knew it was his spirit. Paul understood that a servant to the Lord had to serve in love from the heart because he could do no righteous work from the flesh. Philippians 3 verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I'll close with this. Paul's love for people's eternal state was displayed primarily through his preaching, the word of God. Yet he is the picture of Christ in that he laid aside his liberties in order that many 
would we want would be one to the family of God, just as Christ did. This is how Paul cleared a way for the powerful saving words, words of Scripture to come through. This is how Paul put the need of those he preached to of ahead of what he was entitled to. His love would prevent him from saying or doing anything that would be offensive. Love controlled his actions. Paul operated from a position where he'd been called by God from, for which he could not resist. I think he mentioned that earlier in the book. He could not resist that. So may love control our actions. May love for our Lord, love for one another, right? That we grow in holiness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, Lord God, I thank you that all of us here profess a faith in Christ, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be encouraged, uh, dear Lord, to not that we do uh, operate from the sense of entitlement. I don't believe that. But Lord, that we would be more mindful, Lord God, of, of each other and more mindful of the work, Lord God, you have here for the ministry the building up of one another, for the equipping of one another, Lord God. So Lord, in whatever way that fleshes out, Lord God, we pray for your wisdom and your guidance. We pray for the message to come, Lord God, as we fellowship with our brothers and sisters from IBH, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that this would be a time of worship pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.